Our first scripture text today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. Listen now to God's word that is to us and for us. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt of the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied exultation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. The second reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Listen now for God's word to us. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in great darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A friend of mine shared with me recently when I shared with her what I was going to preach on um, that her father had been at the Jaguar game last week when it was a home game and had seen an individual parading around outside of the stadium holding a sign, a giant sign, that said, repent. And then there were all these other words around it that felt more like a curse, right, than a blessing. Don't we assume that these people are crazy, that we want to keep them at hand? <laughs> we don't want to move toward them, we want to move away from them. I kind of have this image in my mind of John the Baptist being a crazy guy. I mean, after all, he wore, you know, like, was it camel hair, and he ate locusts, and he was sort of, you know, he himself was parading around in the, in the desert proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. And he called people broods of vipers and that upset people. But it also must have been in a way that drew people because people came. They came to be baptized by him in the River Jordan. So there is this tension, right, between the blessing and also the tension of, um, of speaking truth. He was obviously arrested. Um, 
So Herod didn't obviously get the message. Repent is a word that is antiquated. We don't use it very often when we're speaking to one another casually. We, we tend to use other words. Um, but I do think that this word has been historically like weaponized to force people into submission, to try to control people, to coerce. And I tend to shy away from it. I, I tend to dance around it, but I'm just stubborn enough to lean into it because if Jesus led with this word at the beginning of his ministry, of this, this imperative, then there's got to be something redemptive about it. There's got to be something invitational and healing. The Hebrew translation, like Lauren said, of the word repent is to return or to change direction. I like the word return because there's hope in that word. And, I, and, the, and the sense is that we return to the kingdom of God because it's always at hand. That part of the imperative is really lovely. There's peace, there's serenity in that. It's just the repentance part that can catch us off guard. The educational building next door used to have a room that was dedicated to silent meditation. It was on the third floor, it was very cozy, and there were times during the week and on Sunday that people could gather to meditate together. It would, it would be like a 20 or 30 minute silent meditation where we would still the body and try to quiet the mind, but we wouldn't speak. You know, The mind though, it doesn't stop. I mean, my experience has been when I try to still my body and quiet my mind, my mind just you know, keeps going. I might be quiet for a little bit and then I'm off to the races. The, medi the meditation sages do say, though, that when we do, when our mind is apt to wander, right? It's, it just does. However, we have this ability to come back, to return to the present during the midst of our wandering. I wonder if repentance might be, in some sense, returning to ourselves, returning to the present where God is in our midst and, and we are in God's realm. Meditation is wonderful for all kinds of things. It reduces stress. It can lower blood pressure. It can calm the nervous system. I wish I did it more. It also can, um, can help us to get in touch with ourselves, to check in. Other ways that I feel like we might experience repentance in a way that, that is for ourselves is just being outside in nature, to be outside amongst the trees and the water and the grass and the birds and the flowers. That is such a restorative way that we can come back and return to God's earth and to really sometimes heaven on earth, depending on the day. The text begins with tension, right? Jesus is arrested. I'm sorry, John is arrested. Jesus is arrested later. Jesus has been born. Jesus has been visited by the Magi. He's been baptized. He's gone into the wilderness to be tempted. And this is the very juncture in which he steps out 
and formally into his ministry on earth. And he's immediately met with this news that his cousin and colleague, John the Baptist, who baptized him, has been arrested. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced a loved one who's been arrested or you yourself has been arrested, but I, that's traumatic. And Jesus, I'm sure, was feeling some either big T or little t trauma and grief and anger and maybe several things because the text said that he withdrew. And when Jesus withdraws, that's usually code for like Jesus is trying to take care of himself. Jesus needs a minute or two. And I appreciate that. So the, this past May, I was fortunate enough to go to Israel with a group of minister uh, collaborative that was formed my last year in seminary. And we ended our three-year relationship by going to Israel. It was an immersion trip. And we actually spent the first few days of our trip in Galilee, which is beautiful. It is this pastoral, very um, green and temperate place with water. The Sea of Galilee is, is right there, which is a freshwater lake, by the way. But it's green, just like the sea. And the, one of our leaders said, you will not want to leave Galilee because Galilee, it's just so beautiful. And we, and we didn't, because it was just very restful. Um, and we went around and toured different biblical sites. It was, it was surreal, and I felt very privileged to get to go. And it was also good for me to get a sense of, like, this is where Jesus actually was recorded as, as living. He lived in Galilee. He moved from his hometown, from the comfort of his family, from the familiar surroundings of Nazareth, 30 miles northeast to Capernaum, which is the equivalent of moving from here to Fernandina, except he would have had to have traveled on foot. We eventually, as a group, made our way down the corridor of Israel to Jerusalem, where we spent our last few days. And during the course of our trip, we received word that a Palestinian Christian journalist whose name was Shireen Abu Akleh, was killed on the job while she was reporting from a settlement in the Palestinian territory. She was reportedly sharing that the Palestinians were losing their resources, their houses, their land, because of these settlements that were being erected um, by the government. And she was, she, and she died. Uh, she died because we never know what kind of risk, you know, we're taking when we tell the truth. And she was standing up and being the voice for her people in Palestine. The last day of our, of our, of our trip to Israel, we were in Jerusalem. We were, our hotel was just around the corner from the Catholic cathedral where the funeral was being held for um, this um, Palestinian journalist. So there was a lot of flurry around. And I guess early in the afternoon, out of, outside my window, I just heard these, this, these motorcycles and throngs of people just rushing down the alley on which our hotel was situated. And it was 
and it didn't stop. It just continued. So I went downstairs and met with the other, some of the other people on our, in our um, collaborative, and it was, it was wild because there were just hundreds, if not thousands, of Palestinians showing up for the funeral, for the funeral procession, which, unbeknownst to me, was going to, to process right in front of um, the square where we were staying. I've never seen anything like this. They, the, the Palestinian people came out in support of, um, of Shireen and also to protest what had happened. She was their voice, their advocate, and she was no longer able to be that for them. But they banded together and they, the pallbearers were Palestinians who lifted her casket up and, and carried it all the way down to the cemetery. I feel like if Jesus were there, being a Palestinian Jew, he would have carried a sign that said, Justice for Serene, Justice for Shireen. And back in the day, when he was torn about how to respond to John the Baptist's arrest, my sense is that that message he carried around that, and carried forward from John the Baptist would have also said something like, Justice for John. What does it mean to repent? Repentance might look like action coming from love, action coming as a result of injustice, to right a wrong, to repair a breach, to return to the realm and the kinship of God on earth. Repentance is both individual and collective. I asked a couple of people this week what it meant to them to repent, and both separately said it had to do with confession. We have a book of confession, the Presbyterians do, and in it there are lots of different confessions that state what we believe. There are doctrines and creeds that we lean on and we recite here on Sunday in worship. It's a response to God's forgiveness and to God's grace for us. Because unlike some other denominations and faith traditions, we believe that God has already forgiven us. In our baptism, you know, we claim that. And that there's nothing we can do that would take away God's love and forgiveness. So why confess, right? If we're already forgiven, why should we confess? It's always kind of, I've always wondered about that. I've always been curious about the confession booths in Catholic churches. I used to attend a Catholic church mass with my neighbors across the street when I was growing up. I enjoyed going to church in jeans, not dressed up, and hearing them recite their um, prayers and everything without even looking at notes. Um, but I always was curious about what went on behind the curtain uh, in those confession booths and wondered like what secrets are being told. And uh, yeah, so I know that's a very big part of people's practice in the Catholic tradition and honor that. I took a class, a pastoral counseling class in the early 2000s at Flagler College and it was taught by Marilyn Comey who is a wise and wonderful teacher. 
The class was made up of mostly 20-year-olds or younger, maybe a year older, and I was a good 20 years older than them. But I felt right at home because Marilyn created such a safe space in that class for us to learn. And she said two things. <laughs> One of the things she said was, you're as sick as your secrets. She created such a safe space for us, and we would pair off and, and practice active listening with one another. We would sit knee to knee with a partner, and we would just share whatever came up for us, like maybe it was something we were struggling with, a worry, um, whatever was on our hearts and minds. And the other person would just sit and listen, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't say anything or try to correct us or empathize. They would just sit and listen. And then when we were done, they would reflect back to us what they thought they heard us say. It was a lovely way for me to feel like there was this space between us that opened up possibility for people to share openly and honestly with one another. And I wonder why we don't do more of that as a church. Like I said, you know, this, this idea of confession or repentance has such negative connotations, but I don't believe Jesus meant it that way. Jesus was mostly using scripture to teach and to heal and to liberate people, not to condemn, to persecute and criticize. But somehow that message has gotten tainted and twisted. Serene Jones in her book, Trauma and Grace, it states that the central piece of the healing process for all of us, whether we've experienced um, little t or big t trauma, is remembrance, that it's so important to acknowledge what happened. Because until we do that, we cannot move forward. We cannot heal. We will stay forever imprisoned in our bodies. Another part of that is mourning. We have to grieve, right? We grieve what has happened and the losses we've incurred. Um, another thing is that um, repentance does not take place or remembrance does not take place in isolation, that there needs to be a, a witness and a testifier, a person getting on us and a person hearing them and holding them in that space. She also talks about how in church we are to hold space for the wonder of life and the mourning of loss. I think that's what Jesus was trying to do as he struck out in his ministry. He was trying to like, put forth a, a message of hope and also grieve the loss and honor the life and the work of his colleague. For us, repentance might look like moving out of our comfort zones, our comfy, off of our comfy couches if we're not resting, and even our zip codes to explore unfamiliar areas in our own city. Galilee would have been very, un, you know, a stretch for Jesus. It doesn't say he brought his family with him. The second thing that, uh, that Marilyn Comey said to us in that class is that it would be unhealthy if your parents are your best friend, which kind of was interesting to hear 
because many people consider their parents their best friend. And I don't, I've never thought anything wrong with that. But she made a case for each person finding their own friends and not relying on their parents because there's so many emotional strings there that were not objective around those relationships. She also said that the people that hurt us cannot heal us. That is not something that is possible. So it may mean putting ourselves in positions where we can stretch, where we can get to know people that we're not familiar with, that we can listen to people and be curious if we don't agree, and that maybe courageously we're given space to share our own story, imperfectly and authentically. To, to repent is in part to confess. To confess is to get honest with ourselves and with another human being. Maybe it's a heartfelt apology followed by changed behavior. Maybe it's just being honest about how we feel. It's never too late. We can always return because the kingdom of heaven is right here at hand. May it be so. Amen.